Cusick. Not just a word, a movement, a mindset, and a podcast. Welcome to Fusick. All right, welcome everybody to the Fusick podcast. We are back in action after a couple of weeks with holidays and month in. But uh, I am your co-host, Craig Miller, always accompanied by the one and only Mr. TJ McGinnis. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing well, Craig. How are you doing? I doing heard that you had new castle, a white castle. Same we, we thing. We did. Last we, night. Basically. Basically, we did. The old Colby Thatcher is in town, so we tried to show her a good time at uh, downtown Chicago. We were on the way back to the car for an early night, and um, one of us spotted the piano bar almost back to the car and we said well let's just go in there and have one drink yeah well, they, the old uh living on a prayer uh, oh yeah billy joel billy joel good. yep awesome man it was good well that's good it was great that's good who do we have today we have jonathan billy buddy jonathan we're excited to have you on our podcast that's nationally televised we're trying to get globally here soon so uh hopefully it's not too nerve-wracking for you <laughs> no gentlemen it's a it, it's a pleasure it's you guys make it easy uh, it's uh your your early night turned into an early morning Craig. so those are always fun and uh i've had a, many of those nights mornings matter of fact i could use i, I need one, you need one. Uh, the fourth yeah, quarter is right. coming to a close so Maybe I'll maybe I'll see if you guys can fly into Charlotte, and I'll find the nearest piano bar. There you go. We can do that now. Or you just have fun. Kobe. Just have Kobe coming to town. It's always a party when she's around. That's right. So, Jonathan, as you know, Fusick means for everyone who said I couldn't. And I know that you listen to the podcast, and we've talked a good bit. I know you and TJ have, too, as well, around kind of your story and what, what it's all entailed with that. But we want to turn the floor over to you and – let you tell the listeners what Fusick means to you and your Fusick story. So it is your show now. Yeah, thank you guys. Uh, first and foremost, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's, a, it's an honor to be able to share uh, anything, uh, a podcast, um, a stage, an industry with you two gentlemen. You guys have paved a way um, that has allowed individuals like me uh, to follow. And you guys have given people like me a path. Uh, to follow as well. So, you know, I, I thank you, gentlemen, for your guys' leadership because it's inspiring uh, to be able to follow what you guys have done and also drive that down into the people that we have here in Charlotte as well. So, um, you know, I'm, um, I'm humbled uh, that you guys allow me to join you guys and just share a couple things that, um, you know, just share in my story and, and hopefully the people, uh, you know, the thousands of people that do listen in on your guys' podcast, maybe they can take a little nugget from what I've been through and what you guys have been through and the people that said I couldn't to, to me and to you guys, I, I think there's value in, in people's story. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing is always getting some perspective from people's story. And, and the easy story isn't so much uh, always the story we look for. It's always the, the struggle within the journey that I think provides a lot of value. So, you know, again, I just I can't thank you too enough for what you guys have done for me personally and professionally in the short time that I've known you. And it's, I think it's just going to get even more exciting and, and more fun from here on out. So um, what Fusic means to me is it's, you know, for I think as we uh, kind of evolve uh, from 
where we've been to where we are now through that journey, I, I think one of the motivators, motivators that we do have is, is people that say we can't or do the things that we think we can. But it's also the people that you don't even that don't even tell it to you personally. You just know that they're thinking that that you can't do it. And I believe that for a, for a, a long time. And, and I think that's why it's taken me so long on this kind of journey and the, the story that I have is because I listen to the crowd noise. And that crowd noise can get pretty loud and, and I was willing to listen. And that really hindered um, any kind of success or, or anything that I was looking for. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't trade that for anything um, with you know kind of that that noise that, that, that was in the background at a lot of times. So, um, you know, just getting into, you know, where I'm from and, and where I am now, obviously I was born in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I lived there until I was 15 years old and, and got drafted in the North American Hockey League by the Sault Ste. Marie Indians. I was drafted first round, first overall. I had no idea what I was getting into. I just packed up a car at 15, drove up, and I moved in with a billet family because I was too young to have my own place. So I played hockey up in Sault Ste. Marie, um, Ontario, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with that area, but is the last exit of I-75. So you cannot go any further north uh, uh, in Sault Ste. Marie. If you do, you're either going to need a snowmobile or a dog sled, <laughs> because that's the only transportation that you're going to get up there. So um, I know with TJ being down in Florida, the, the last Exit on I-75 ends in about Miami, and the last one ends in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. So um, I was there for a year and a half and actually really enjoyed it. Um, got to be around some great teammates that were a lot older than I was, but you know, learned some great lessons. We had some great years there, and through that, my path was actually going to play college hockey and had some great offers to go play college hockey from a, a scholarship perspective, but just education wasn't my strong suit. So my agent uh, at the time gave me a call and said, hey, the Plymouth Whalers, when they're Ontario Hockey League, are, they saw you and, and they would like to sign you. Thing is, is, if you sign in the Ontario Hockey League, well, now you're going to get paid. You're going to be represented by me as your agent. You now lose all college eligibility. I said, sounds great. I, I don't like going to school, don't think I'm going to go to college, let's do it. So I packed up at, at 17 years old and, and signed with the Plymouth Whalers, and, and, and that league is kind of, you know, Craig, with your baseball background, it, it was kind of like your, your single-A kind of path. That's what a lot of your NHL guys start up in. Uh, your Sidney Crosby's, your Connor McDavid's, your uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's. I, w I would say 80% of the, the National Hockey League is, is composed from your Ontario Hockey League, Western Hockey League, and Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. So um, played there for another two years and, and was fortunate enough after that career when I was 18 years old, I, I signed with the St. John Flames in St. John's, Newfoundland. So that was an interesting uh, place to live as well. I always tell people one of my favorite movies is the movie Snatch with, with Brad Pitt. <laughs> and they have the pikers with that with that that kind of funny kind of twang that they have. Well, that's exactly how they sound sound in Newfoundland. So that was a fun year for me, uh, staying with them. So I played there, and in one thing um, led to another. I just I, I battled injuries. 
uh, too many concussions back in the day where they just gave you a smelling salt, you looked good, they sent you back out there. Um, it was kind of looked down upon if you didn't get back out there. So um, I actually had eight concussions in a two-year span. Oh. Knew something was wrong. Knew something was wrong, couldn't figure it out. But the thing that really hurt me was getting to where I was was the easy was the easy thing, right? Because I just got there on talent and talent alone. What I lacked was the proper work ethic and commitment to get me over the over the hump, right? And so when I had to come back from an injury, it was something new for me that I really didn't understand or recognize the work that was required above and beyond that my talent had nothing to do with. And I struggled with that. And I went from a, a first-line player to... Uh, when you're in a doghouse with a coach, it, I don't care. You need to go find another another doghouse or another house because that coach isn't just going to let you get out of it. Um, but I had a great relationship with my teammates. Um, you know, as you know, you guys have played sports. Uh, your teammates are, are, you know, those those are the ones you're in the trenches yep. with. So you don't want to let them down. And I felt like I was letting them down, and that was that was a tough thing for me to accept. And uh, my agent called me and said, "Hey, St. John's has released you." And, and that's the first time I'd ever been cut from anything at 18 years old. So that was a tough pill to swallow. At the time, I was bitter. I was mad. Um, and, and it took me a while to realize, you know, the, the, the actual positive that was in that. So from there, I got another call from Dallas and went and played preseason with them for a couple games. I tried to fill a role that I had no business filling, and that was trying to be a fighter. Oh, geez. Um, you were one of those lasted. guys? Yeah, that. Yeah, I, I tried yeah. to be. I, no, I'm not even one of those guys. I couldn't even try to be Man. one of those guys. I was a, I was a poser is what I was. Um, I watched a documentary on that. We'll talk offline yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a great one. There's, there's one coming out with Bob Probert. Uh, he played for the Wings for a long time, man. That guy was, uh, that, that guy was legit, so... Um, but yeah, that, that career of trying to do that and just trying to grind and get in the trenches, it, it, man, it was tough for me. And, uh, I played preseason with Dallas. I lasted five games and they said, um, look, we just don't think this is going to work for you. And at the time I went to the doctor again the next day and actually found I had another concussion. So I decided right then and there that it, it was time to, to do something different. And at the time, it was actually easy for me to make that decision because um, I was just so burnt out on myself that I couldn't live up to expectations that I thought other people had of me, right? And I wasn't really trying to prove those people that, that were saying, you can't do it. I just didn't care anymore. Um, so I had to find something else to do, and that was tough because I didn't have a high school education. Like I told you guys in the beginning, education wasn't a strong suit for me. Um, it just, I, I didn't take it serious. I would actually, you know, I always tell people this, this is a funny thing, is one of the schools I went to in, in Sault Ste. Marie, I would actually go to school, but I wouldn't go in. I would fall asleep in the car in a parking lot. So people would always say, well, you know, did you go to school? Yeah, I went. I just didn't go in. So... You know, that was a tough thing when I was 20, going on 21 years old, having to try to figure out something to do without an education. I thought I could just do it. I had a chip on my shoulder. Um, but later on down the road, it, I didn't realize how uh, dumb a decision that was. So I um, was sitting in North Carolina. My, my dad actually moved down here. He was transferred from another company in Detroit down here. 
I came down here just to visit, and you gentlemen have been to North Carolina. I think once you come to North Carolina, it's not many people go back. Um, it wasn't Detroit. It wasn't Sault Ste. Marie. There wasn't snow in February. And I was golfing, having a cigar and a beer in February. I said, okay, I can get used to this. So it was brutal. And, and Sault Ste. Marie actually had the most snowfall in the United States last year. It was like 180-some inches, just something stupid. And it was it, it's crazy. Um, but, but yeah, in, uh came out of North Carolina and just really fell in love with something different, I think. And I think the biggest thing is I met somebody who, for the first time in my life, I thought believed in me, right? What I didn't know was that was my first mentor. Um, and he really started, he took me under his wing and really just poured into me um, just from a caring perspective, right? He really didn't get into the nuts and bolts of success or self-development or leadership or anything like that. He just at that time cared for me. And that was a big thing that I was looking for. And I stayed down here, what I thought was going to be a week, and go back to Detroit. I, I've been down here ever since. So we're going on 17 years now. And through that is I needed something to do. I ran out of hockey money pretty quick because I wasn't the smartest guy when it came to uh, saving or budgeting bonus money. Um, I thought saving the $100 chips from the casino the night before was actually a smart way to, to save money. Uh, little did I know, I, no. No, no, it was not. Uh, and, and what I did is, is I saved just till I could go back on Wednesday night. So that, that, was, that, that was my savings. Oh, I got $300 chips in my pocket. I can go back Wednesday now. So I don't recommend that. I, I could teach a class on exactly what not to do. Um, and then uh, my agent called me one day and said, hey, man, would you ever be interested in getting into NASCAR? And I said, ah, man, you don't want me touching one of those things. I, I, I can barely put gas in my vehicle. He goes, no, I'll just... One of my good friends, Phil Parsons, they're actually looking for athletes in NASCAR. I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to anything. I said, what's the money look like? He, said, he told me. I said, all right, I'll, I could, I'll do that. So I actually went down to uh, Dale Earnhardt Incorporated and met with their pit coach and had me go through a little combine, show run, you know, normal stuff. And six months later, I'm in Daytona, Florida, with an air gun, a helmet, and a fire suit with these cars going by, and I'm sitting there going, what in the hell have I gotten into? And lo and behold, I did that for 10 years and changed tires for uh, Casey Kane, Kevin Harvick, uh, Kurt Busch, and then when I, when I retired in 2012, uh, I was with Dale Jr., and I was a rear tire changer. And, you know, that 10-year career that I had, the first five years were great. The last five years, not so great. I, but I also started to recognize trends from where I was in hockey to where I was now. I started to get real negative on what I was doing and started to think that I would always blame everyone else or, or everything else around me. But I, what I failed to realize was it was a problem was staring right back at me in a mirror. And so I did that for 10 years and and uh, loved every minute, was in some high, high competitive situations, high, high pressure situations where if you were off by two-tenths of a second, man, they, they would fire you. I mean, you'd be racing on Monday and unemployed by Monday, or race on Sunday and unemployed Monday. And that, and that was just the reality of it. So we had to really uh, cope and adjust to how to deal in high-pressure situations. Um, but I, what I also realized is being around that mentor is is 
about five years, six years ago is when he really started to tell me, I really started to get interested in the behind the scenes stuff that he had because I think like you guys will, you guys have shared with me, I think when you really start to get into self-development and leadership, you start to seek out people that have the things that you want to have. And I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about personal things, right? Um, things that can't be bought. And, you know, he really got me into to reading and, and seeking out other mentors and really trying to develop myself um, more than to, de- to develop some, uh, you know, financial purpose. It, it was more about developing myself. I got big into books. I got big into going to different events and, and just seeking out. I was just a, I was an addict for leadership and knowledge. I couldn't get enough of it. Um, but what I didn't realize during that process is when I uh, walked into Chad Canales' office when I was with uh, Hendrick Motorsports, I said, hey, man, this just isn't for me. I just I got to find something else to do. And I had another year on my contract because he said, great. Have fun, not a problem. I said, it's that easy? He goes, yeah, you tire changers are like a 716th wrench. I can find a 100 in, a, in, a, in the next drawer down. I said, huh. all right, sweet. So uh, that was uh, the end of that. But what I didn't realize, I thought because I was getting into this leadership, I was going to be this big-time business owner. I was going to be an overnight success. Everything was going to be great. Um, uh, my, wife, my wife, Kristen, I remember coming home and telling her, but the first time I was actually telling her what my dreams and aspirations were. I was sharing that with her, so it was good. Um, and she was happy for me, but I didn't realize the work that was required and the price that had to be paid to get these things that I was talking about. Um, I, I fell short in a lot of areas, and I, and I think you guys can agree that, um, that there's a price that you got to be paid, that, that has to be paid. And I'm not talking about something that you can go buy. It's something you got to experience. It, it's... It's, it's pain, you know, it's, it's, it's the struggle, it's the, the, the failure, the, the coming up short more than one time or ten times or a hundred times in my case. So, um, you know, I was trying to experience disappointment through the lens of expectation, and it was just, it was tough for me to do. So uh, I got involved with a direct sales company with my good friend Manny Provenzano, who you guys know here, who's one of our DJs. Um, and his dad was actually my first mentor. We got involved in that company. We had some short-term success. But our team that we had built, we lost it twice. And the second time that we lost it, it was about three years of just incredible struggle because I wasn't a strong enough leader to attract or retain people. And so those three years were probably the toughest three years of my life. And... It was a time where, I mean, we were 30 days away from uh, losing our home. Uh, marriage was, was not very good because I was telling my wife all these things that we're going to do, but I wasn't delivering. Uh, I wasn't upholding my end of the bargain. And that was tough from, a, from a, just a, a, being a man, yeah, a man perspective. You, you want to be the, the one that walks through the door every day and kind of pokes your chest out, and, and, and you want to find comfort in their security. And I couldn't provide that, and it was tough. Um, but with the mentors I had, they, the one thing that I was non-negotiable on was staying the course. As tough as it got, I had to stay the course. And so it came to a point, I remember my wife called me and said, hey, we have till today to pay the light bill. If we don't pay this light bill, they're going to shut our power off. Well, also, our son, Jet, had just been born as well. 
And I remember walking up there and, and it was one of the, it was, it was the toughest day of my life, but it was also the day I made a decision that all this digesting of information and leadership that I was doing, I was taking zero action. And so I knew it was time to take action. And that day I looked at my son's, he had a, a piggy bank in there and I took it up to the store to get changed because we had about 60 some dollars in there. Well, that covered the light bill for the next 30 days. So I told myself, look, I got 30 days before I'm going to lose my house. I got 30 days before uh, we're going to have no power as well. So um, through that process, the next 30 days, I told my wife, I said, look, I need you to take a picture of me. She said, what are you talking about? I said, because not only for the next 30 days, but for the next three years when people come over and they ask where your husband's at, I want you to point to that picture and say right there because I am gonna do whatever it takes and I'm not gonna come up for air until we get something figured out here. And it was funny because someone from actually AFLAC in the same industry that we're in had been contacting me for two, three years to get into, an ins to get into insurance. And I just, you know how it is when someone approaches you and you're just not interested in, in them mainly, you're not gonna follow them. And so actually the that, that day, um, talking about kind of a godsend, uh, a blessing is I got a call from them. And I remember looking at that, that phone going, you gotta be kidding me. But something just told me, just answer the phone. So I answered the phone and talking, hey, I just wanted to follow up on you. How are you? Just checking in on you. And I just want to tell you that you know that with insurance, you can get paid residually. Well, that was a big thing that my mentors had told me. And I told that individual on the phone, I said, I don't mean to be rude, but you just wasted almost three years of my time and yours. Because all you had to do was tell me residual three years ago, and I would have done this. I said, what do I need to do? I said, you need to get a license here, 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 and here. And I said, all right, show me the comp plan. What can I make? Show me that. I went and took an in-person exam instead of an online exam. I failed that five times. I still remember the instructor till this day. The, the instructor, she was about 80 years old. She hated men. She, I don't think she just was not, life was just not on her priority list. She just, she just was not a happy person. And I remember sitting in a, in a separate room because I had failed it so many times that the next class had already started and I couldn't be in there. So she put me in a separate room. I failed it the fifth time. She says, I don't know how to tell you this, but you needed this. You, you're just wasting my time. I would do something else. I said, I appreciate that, but I got no other options, ma'am. I got to figure something out. So I get home that day and I, I'm, I'm talking to my wife. I said, man, I failed this thing five times. So then that insurance person calls me from Aflac and says, hey, how'd you do on the test? It's a bad day to ask. I said, I failed it five times, don't know what I'm gonna do. She says, well, you know you can take it online. So I said, again, you've just wasted now three years of my life again because I could have taken it online instead of going to that in-person uh, testing facility. So took it online, passed it, went took my in-person, passed it, and sat down, and I, I sat down with the, the region at the time. I said, I need to make six figures. I need you to show me how to do that. She says, all right, well, we're gonna put you with this person. Well, I still remember to this day, my first day on the job, I go out in a car to do some drops with the individual and zero training. She just drops me off at a business park. It's 103 degrees in July. I have a full suit on. I say, okay, what do I do? She goes, you need to walk into these businesses, every business here, and you need to set an appointment. Well, what do I say? Well, just tell them you're with Aflac. You need to set an appointment. Okay. There's about 50 businesses there. I walked into everyone sweating. I was drenched, soaking. 
And every place I walked into, I think the only reason I got appointments because they felt so bad for me or they needed to call an ambulance because I was going to have heat exhaustion. I, I got at least 20 bottles of water from those 50 businesses because I was dripping sweat. And I would go into every one, and it's funny because sometimes you, you, you can't say the wrong thing to the right person. And I just think they just pity, uh, if anything else. I said, look, I just started this job. Here's why I started it, because i got a family to provide for. I need something to work for me. Um, I'm not really 100% familiar with what I'm doing, but one thing I can promise you is I'll figure it out, and I'll work my guts out uh, to serve and service whatever I can for this company. And I, and I got 20 appointments that day, my first day. What? I had no idea what to say. Wow. In the dead heat, it was, 100, it was 103 degrees. And I remember getting back in the car that my director, uh, they called her, them a district at the time, she was sitting in there and she was on social media in the air conditioning, looked as comfortable as can be. I got in there after two and a half hours and I sat down and she goes, how'd it go? I said, not good. I said, but I need you to do me a favor. I need you to lose my number and I'm going to walk home because you're not the leader I'm looking for. Wow. I need to go at least 100 miles an hour and you're not ready to go 100 miles an hour. I said, I apologize. I wish you the best. But I need more than what you're willing to give me right now. And I walked. I Not only did I was I tired in dripping sweat, I then walked about eight miles to the Charlotte office and said, I need someone different. I need someone that is going to take this as serious as I'm going to. And they put me with someone else that actually showed me a couple things. And I really kind of fell in love with the industry because there was purpose and conviction with what we do. I think you guys can agree with that. Yep. There's a, there's, no doubt. There's just some... There's just there's just phenomenal aspects with what we do. Um, and when you break it down and, and how we can literally save someone from medical bankruptcy and create peace of mind, it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing. And I think you truly have to experience something like what we provide for people um, before you can truly appreciate it. And so I was with Affleck for two and a half years, and I just wasn't happy with the leadership. Um, it just... They weren't going as fast, and I don't think they were going in the direction that I wanted to go in, and I became frustrated. So I actually reached out through LinkedIn. I had no idea, but um, I heard Colonial a lot because I'd walk into businesses, and they say, oh, I work with Colonial. We love our rep, and the, and the theme was always the same, that they were always happy with who they were with. With, when I was with Aflac, I would walk in and they say, yeah, we're the Aflac, but we don't know who our rep is and yada, 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 the normal stuff. And so it really sparked my interest. I said, I got to look into this. I, I really got to, if I'm going to look for opportunity, I got to see who's really the players in this. So I kind of Googled Colonial, did the normal bathroom wall writing kind of information back check. And just, it, it came back with a, with a sterling track record. And I really got impressed from there. And I reached out through Taylor Stern, who you both know, uh, through LinkedIn, sent her a message, and I said, look, here's, what I, here's where I am, here's what I've done, here's what I'm looking to do. I need to talk to your top leader in your company. And she didn't get back to me for about three, four days. I said, I'm not going to wait. So I actually then sent Tim Arnold a message. <laughs> I said, hey, I'm Jonathan Billy. I know you're, I don't know if you're going to see this or not, your secretary is, but I would really appreciate you to connect me with your top leader in the Southeast. And so then I got a call from, uh, from uh, Taylor 
And I met her, and she kind of went over the comp plan and kind of shared some, a couple things with what they're doing. And then I, uh, about a month later, met with Julian Emerson, and he kind of shared with what the company's background is and what they're looking to do. And it took me about eight months before I made a decision because I really wanted to entrench myself in what you guys had. I didn't want to make just a snap decision. So I, I, I sought out the A players with your company. Um, and the first one I sought out was Heath Oaks. I believe that he was a mentor to you guys and, 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 and poured into you what had been poured into him, right? And I just communicated with him and developed a relationship. And, and the, the thing that just stood out to me was, number one, his sincerity, his integrity, his character. But he cared about someone that meant nothing to him, right? That I wasn't going to go out and open a case. I wasn't going to get a more broker business, nothing. And I saw that level of care and commitment that he put into me. It really showed me what this company was about. Because if he was one of the top leaders, I knew the leaders at the top were developing people just like that. And that's what really got my attention. And then Taylor called me and, and said, hey, they're actually looking to do this position. And Charlotte, would you be interested? I said, absolutely. And then went on the rack and met Dave Mosier and um, did that down in Columbia and and, and thank God, I hope I did well with that rack, but here I am and been here for seven months. But the funny thing is, to, to kind of rewind almost back to the beginning, is when Dave Moser called me and said, hey, we want to offer you this position, do you accept? I said, 100%. I said, matter of fact, 200%. And a week later, they, you know, I had to get all the application things filled out. And I remember on the application, that little part that says, do you have a high school diploma? I said, no, I don't. So a week later, I get a call from Tim Reeder, who's in uh, HR. He says, hey, uh, you filled out the application wrong. I said, no, absolutely not. I know that bad boy's right. <laughs> he goes, well, you put you don't have a high school education. I said, yeah, isn't that great? He goes, no, not at all. <laughs> and uh, that was the exact conversation. And, and uh, he said, hey, through Unum, our parent company, you have to have at least a GED equivalent to, be, uh, to accept this position. I said, all right, we got an issue. So I said, give me five days and I'll figure it out. And he said, all right, not a problem. He goes, I'll give you two weeks. I said, perfect. So I, at that point, I had to even figure out which high school I had gone to. I went to six high schools in four years. Finally got a hold of the one and, and talked to them. And, and they said, ah, there's nothing we can do. You're a half credit short. You need a computer class. So I go online and look at all these different options. What's well, going to take me about three months? So I'm like, man, I have just blown the biggest opportunity I have ever had. I'm like, this is something, I, I, I can't have this happen. So I called the principal of that one school and said, look, man, I'm just going to level with you. Here's my story. Here's what's happened. I've made some mistakes. I'm willing to write those mistakes. I need help. You guys have my diploma. I'm a half credit short. What can I do to accomplish this in a short period of time? I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And he, he says, uh, you're doing, trying to do insurance, right? I said, yeah. He goes, you guys do like continuing education or something like that? I said, yeah. He goes, Just do me a favor, send me that and I'll graduate you. I said, awesome. So I sent wow. him a copy of my continuing education and a week later I got a diploma from Plymouth Canton Community School. Congratulations, I'm buddy. I'm at it right yeah. now. You sent him so a letter? Not only, what's that? I said, have you sent that man a letter? 
I have. And I actually yeah. went and spoke at their school because, look, he goes, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing that. He goes, I like your story. Would you do me a favor? If you're ever back in Michigan, would you do me a favor and would you be willing to speak to our students? I said, absolutely, I would love to. And so, actually, when we were in Phoenix, um, uh, for the I, I forget what it was for, leadership meeting out there, I actually flew out on Thursday and flew to Detroit to run a broker meeting, and then I went to the school right after that and spoke to about 100 students and shared with them this, this same story that I'm sharing with you guys, and the message was the same as, you know, the title of your guys' podcast was, I had so many people that said, said I can't, said, you're not going to do it. And I believed them, but the main person that was telling me that was myself. And, and, and once I got over that and started to believe in, in the mission that I was doing, um, it, it was just a change. But that, the, the, the change was, uh, you know, through my struggle um, came a lot of um, learning and just, just life lessons that I wouldn't trade for anything. Now, would I go back to that? Not a chance in a world. But I think that also helps me that every day I wake up, I am in constant fear that I'm going to go back there. So I need to work my guts out to make sure that I don't go back to that because it is a scary, scary thing. And sitting there staring at my newborn son, and you guys have kids, and, and imagine that, that, that picture in your head staring at your child, not being able to afford your light bill, and then taking change that you've been putting in there that was a that was a gut-wrenching day um and i remember that drive to the it was a it was a food line because i knew they had a coin star there taking that up there and i realized no more i, I made a decision on that car ride that it, it something had to change and i'm not saying i'm perfect i'm not saying i'm in the position i uh want to be um but i'm not where i was uh, that i can promise you so um, i know that's kind of a long-winded story guys but no, it was great. I, I, I get passionate about talking about it because I, I hope when I share this with people and people hear this that maybe someone's in a similar situation that I was and, and they recognize that there's opportunity in the struggle. They just have to be willing to accept the struggle and what it's worth to be able to get out of it. So, um, you know, been with Colonial now for, for seven months and just loving every minute of it because I get to you know, operate and be around gentlemen uh, like, you know, like TJ and Craig, um, you know, you guys have been a, a, a huge impact, whether I've expressed, you know, specifically expressed that to you guys or not, you guys have been, made a huge impact on what I've what we're doing and, and what we're trying to do. And I'm a big believer in Robin Duplicate and we try to mimic what you guys do on a daily basis. And we're just, uh, man, we're just excited, happy, and, and, and just having a good time with a great company, with great people. So um, that's my story, yeah. and I, I keep adding to it every day. That's well, awesome. That's, it's amazing, man. You've, uh, you've had one heck of a, a career so far, and, and your career with Colonial is, is, is off to an unbelievable start, man. So congratulations to you. I, I have a couple questions around a few things. Uh, pressure uh craig this is something we've talked about but we haven't really drilled down on a question i feel like this is a good one because you've had some really pressure situations from the hockey points 
especially growing up at 15, being on your own. That's, that's, we could spend hours talking about that. Uh, but the pressure that you said, very intense pressure, where if you were a tenth of a second off that you could get fired for, and you'd be, on, you'd be out on a job, out of a job. Talk about what skills and what things you have developed to, uh, to cope with pressure. And, and a matter of fact, man, even, the more pressure is the light bill. And I've been there. Our light bills went off uh, when I first started with Colonial, too, with my wife. But we didn't have a kid at the time, man. So let's talk about how you cope with pressure and how, how, what that is now and how, how you handle it now. Yeah, it, it, man, that's a great question. It, it's, it's, it's such a hard question um, because it's so hard to pinpoint, right? Um, and it's, we all like to think we deal with pressure and stress in a positive, good way, but come on, I'd, I'd be lying if I told you I did. I, I think I do. Um, but there's, there's days that it gets to us and in, in the pressure and the stress of the environment of life, I think, just a bit, just a life, you know, with the, just trying to be a good dad, a good husband, a good friend, a good mentor, you know, that's, there's pressure in all that. Um, but, but what I learned through that, and I, I think it was racing that really helped me with that, was I had to trust in the people around me, my teammates, right? Because I knew if they did what we practiced all week, I could have comfort that I just needed to do my job. And if I did my job, I knew the other five guys in the crew would do their job. And so even though I knew every time I stepped foot over that wall when that car came in, that if I missed a lug nut or two lug nuts, it would cost us between one and two positions. And if you guys watch the Daytona 500, you know, these guys get paid a lot of money based on where they finish. And the winner of the Daytona 500 made like $1.3 million. Well, the guy in third made 600000 Well, that's about $900,000 difference. So you can imagine the pressure when you've got, you know, car owners and sponsors and things like that. But I think the struggle that I had, not only with, with you know, the success I had in hockey, but the struggle that followed it was my thinking was I trusted so much in my team and what they've done, and I've also trusted so much in my preparation in the hard work that I put in the week before that the pressure kind of seceded on race day because of what I put in the week before, and it made it easier. And then just moving on from that, when I got into direct sales, uh, that was a new kind of pressure. You know, it was a different arena, and the pressure of providing for your family, right? I wasn't just trying to compete and win a, win a race or do fast pit stops. Now I, had, I was competing to save my family. That was a whole new level of pressure. So I had to figure that out, and also now, instead of trusting my teammates, I didn't have teammates that I thought, right? But I did. I had mentors that were my teammates. And so I had to trust in what they were telling me, and then I had to digest what they were telling me and then implement it, put it to action. And so that's how I dealt with the pressure of that, was the pressure of 30 days away from losing my house, less than 30 days away from losing my power in my house with a newborn baby and the pressure of my wife looking at me every day and just I could just see it in her eyes that I, I wasn't foot I wasn't fitting the bill I wasn't living up to my end of the bargain right and that pressure was it was excruciating and but I had to make a commitment in my mind that I had to stay the course that I was non-negotiable 
to changing paths because the other the, the other direction is the easy direction. The direction I was going was the hard direction. But I I took back little nuggets of everything that I've been through and done that helped me get through it. And now I can take those things and those experiences and those journeys and I can transfer that into what we're doing now. And the reality of it is, is yeah, we have pressure. You guys know it. We got metrics and and things like that to personally produce and have pressure. But I like to flip it around and I put pressure on me to make sure I can develop leaders because I've been through a journey and a struggle. I know other people are, are uh, have those same things. But I also can pour into them what's been poured into me and help them along that process. So I kind of get, I, I lose, hey, all this pressure on me, me, me. No, I have pressure to deliver for them. And I try to create this servant leadership mindset and mentality to get away from pressure on me. Right. Of my numbers. So Jonathan, when, my, we, when we think about, I don't even cut you off, but when we think about like, uh, like TJ was saying with the pressure and, and all that, you, you look back and, you know, if you could, you've been through a lot. You've had a lot of different careers, which is, uh, you know, you've been in pressure situations when it comes to work, when it comes to family, when it comes to income, survival, you know, getting a high school diploma, like so many things that are out of the ordinary for your life now, right? Which, you know, is great. It's a blessing that your life is not like that now, but it's because you drove and worked hard to get there. But just real quick, you know, if you could go back and give, you know, a 20-year-old, 22-year-old Jonathan Billy one piece of advice, like one, just one thing, what would that be? Yeah. <laughs> well, I told you guys I was, I, I tried to start a career in, and, and being the, the fighter on the hockey team, I'd, fr- I'd probably first fight myself to try to knock some sense into myself. <laughs> That'd be the first thing. <laughs> I may have lost that. all your sense, man. Yep. Yeah. You may have lost the be- sense with the eight concussions in two years, dude. Yeah. That's rough, man. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably, that, that's the first thing. But no, it, man, you know what's funny is, is I would go back and I would try to tell myself, I'm not sure at that point I would even listen to myself. So the thing that I would have told myself is, hey, you're getting ready to go through a struggle that you don't even know yet. It's going to put you through a level of pain and sacrifice that you have no idea. That you, you think it's all good and dandy now, just wait. But I'm going to tell you, if, if you just stay the course and embrace the struggle, it will be worth it. Man, that's good. But just, just, just get ready. You're, you're getting ready to pay a price that I don't think you even know. The that is good. That is so good. You know. I mean, just think about how more optimistic that they, TJ, you know, I'm just thinking back when I was 22 and I started, you know, with Colonial DJ office, or whatever. And if I'd have just known that as a fact, I mean, I was pretty optimistic. It's pretty, you know, pretty blind and naive. But if I'd have just known that as a fact, man, I can't imagine how much quicker things would have probably gone because I would have known I was working towards something greater 100%. And that's pretty cool to know. So you're right. I love that piece of advice. Uh, well, Jonathan, you've been you've been outstanding, man. You know, as advertised, as expected. We we just we knew your story a little bit, but there's the extra details in there, man. It's it's so inspiring to hear. Your servant heart, your servant leadership attitude is is something that I can promise you is being noticed by many many people with this company, and I'm sure many many people um, that run into you in, in just day to day you know um, interaction. But we we appreciate you coming on board and and, um, and doing this for us and taking time for us to do this and uh, we love you, buddy. And uh, thanks for all you're doing to represent Colonial Life the right way. Yeah, gentlemen, thank you guys. I appreciate it, man. You guys are awesome, and 
and I look forward to following you guys' path that you guys have already created. So thank you for that. Awesome, awesome man. man. I have one more thing, Craig, I want to add okay, because great. I think this is really important. You know, going back to the stress of everything, and, and your answer to that was trust teammates around you. And if you do your job, they'll do their job. And I've gone back to the Belichick quote of do your job. But more importantly, I feel like a lot of us, and me included at times, will make excuses or will point the pit finger at other people and say, look at them. They're not doing what they're supposed to. They're not doing what they're supposed to. When in reality, it's a, uh, we're, we're trying to deflect our in- imperfections and our in- incompetencies of ourselves. And I think that's kind of what you were talking about, Jonathan, when you're saying you were, you had, you know, all these fingers, you're pointing fingers and you had that are, you were looking at yourself in the mirror and realizing that's what, that's what needed to be fixed. So I, I think that that's what happens when stressful situations occur. I think you sometimes get the best out of people and you sometimes get the worst. Uh, but I appreciate you, your, your, hum, your humbleness and your humility to tell us this story, man. It's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. It's awesome. So, killed it, bro. Yeah, this was yeah, a good one. It, guys. This is a good one. Yeah. yeah. Well, good right. stuff. You guys have a great day, man. Right. Thank you guys yep. for all you do. I, I greatly appreciate it. Jonathan, you the man. Thanks, TJ. Talk to y'all later, guys. All right. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Fusic, a podcast for everyone who said I couldn't. <laughs>